You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone and welcome to another fantastic episode of Ask Drone You. I am here today with a very special guest, Mr. Philip Sheener. Why is Philip so important to you? Well, he's one of the very few people in the drone world who has actually acquired a Part 137 certificate. Why is that important? Well, that's how drones can actually spray fields and farms. It's a way that, well, drones are providing more and more value to farmers, and Agrobotis as well. Philip, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to actually talk with you about agriculture and drones. And I think your company, uh, PNC Max Enterprises, is really doing something, uh, offering these agricultural services at a really unprecedented level. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show today. And I want to really learn, why did you get into agriculture drones? Well, I felt like it was important to offer small plot to medium plot farmers a different alternative from the high price of either co-op based or boom sprayers that run about 125,000 per unit to do plots between five and 20 to 40 acres. It's just too expensive to run a helicopter or a fixed wing. You're looking at $1,000 for fixed wing and $1,500 per hour for helicopter. So this seemed to be a very good niche. Yeah, it seems like you've actually figured out a problem with small-scale farmers and you've provided an affordable solution for them. So what are you using these agricultural drones? What equipment are you using and, and how are you using them? Well, we use a couple of different things. We use the Agris crop dusting drone, which is in the 1S model and the 1P model. And really the big difference between the 1S and the 1P is they rework the pumps and then they put a first-person view camera on the 1P, which is absolutely essential to have because the 1S model flies like old-school radio control. You cannot see where you're going. You have to keep your eye on the drone at all times if you're not using the autonomous flight. We also use Phantom 4 along with Terra to create mapping scenarios for the land that we're going to spray or target. So you have to use another drone to actually map the area that you want to fly. And then you're saying that you have to upload that map into the Agris one in order to actually use that drone. Not necessarily. That's just if you want to create a hyper accurate map without having to walk the field with the RTK walk stick. And basically you walk and mark off different points around the field and then load that to the Agris, or you can overfly it with the Phantom, do the reconstruction and then upload the map to the Agris. The other alternative is to fly the Agris around the perimeter of the field and create waypoints, but you're creating double workload by doing that because the Phantom will fly that route so much faster than an Agris ball. Yeah, you're also, your cost per flight probably goes down significantly as the battery in a Phantom 4 Pro is 180 bucks versus how much for an Agris one? $725. Hey, $725 is cheap compared to my M600. They're <laughs> <laughs> the M1200 milliamp hour batteries, and now there's a different one for the 1P than for the 1S. So if you have a bunch of 1S batteries, can I use them in the 1P? Yes, you can, but you must buy another adapter from DJI to make that happen, as we would all expect, knowing our friends at DJI. But I find that the true 1P batteries work better in the 1P versus the 1S batteries. Plus, 
Once you put a 1S and a 1P, it's going to load the firmware on it. And guess what? You're going to have to load the firmware back before you use it in the 1S. So, well, lots of nuances to learn about the equipment itself. But let me ask you this. What exactly are you doing with these drones? I mean, what value is there for farmers? I mean, are you using these to spray plants to increase growth? Are you using this to abate certain insects and animals? I mean, help us understand exactly what value you at your company and these drones can provide. All of the above. We're able to spray crops. We're able to spray fruit trees. We're able to spread granular materials because most of the one piece that you can buy today come with the, with the spreader attachment. And you take the tankage off and you put the spreader on. It's plug-to-plug compatible. And now you're a spreader. So you can spray seed, fertilizer, any, any number, excuse me, guys any number of things that you want to spread using that spreader. Now, you have to understand, it's not just for farms, fields, or small plots. It's also for residential. In Texas, we have a lot of what I call estate ranches, which are houses with houses, little buildings on them. They're not a real ranch, but they're 5 to 20 acres, and it's all finished mode. So when they get attacked by pests or things like that, it's effective to be able to go over there and spray them. And once you spray them and map their property, now you have that map. So you can come back like Terminex or any other provider and fly the same map. With obstacle avoidance and altitude hold on these birds, it makes it very easy to create a repeatable workflow. Are you doing any other sort of jobs for those small estate ranches? We're doing uh, a mesquite tree eradication program uh, because for small cattle farmers, Mesquite trees, even when they're about five to six inches tall, will have two to three inch thorns, which can harm the cows, either within their hooves or if they eat them, they'll poke right through a truck or a tractor tire. And so we go out and we'll map again, map with the phantom and then examine that and mark for spray. And then we'll set a spray mission up through Terra to go out and hit those individual spots where the trees are found. Now, do you need Terra to actually do any of this workflow, or is Terra making a certain piece of this workflow easier for you? Terra's making it very easy for me because otherwise I would have to go out and basically hand fly the agris over the trees and find them and spray them, and that's just as cumbersome as what the farmer's doing by hand. So it's really no value add if you do that. Gotcha. We spent the last several months saying, okay, how do we solve that problem for the farmer? And that's why we went with the Terra solution. Awesome. That's interesting to know because I know that ever since Terra has come out, it's been kind of quiet on the radio waves as far as the value of Terra. So the fact that you're seeing that value with just workflow management in agriculture is, is, a, is a good piece of knowledge to understand. Now, moving along here, if I understand it correctly, not everyone who's a Part 107 pilot can just go off and, and spray things. So what extra certifications are needed in order to actually do that? And what does that process look like? Well, we'll start with the FAR Part 137. That is the rating that the FAA gives to anyone doing crop dusting in the United States. So it doesn't matter if it's a drone, a plane, or a helicopter. doesn't matter. You have to have a 137 rating. And that has certain rules, just like the 107.29 nighttime waiver that you must observe. So you basically become an air operations center with the 137. You have a chief supervisor of operations who becomes a certified flight instructor. And then on top of that, now wait a minute, since we're flying drones, now I've got to have a 107 exemption. Why is that? Why do I have to have a 107 exemption? Because 
Drones don't have five-point harnesses. Drones don't have a number of the requirements that the FAR Part 137 requires, so you apply for a 107 waiver to those five points. Interesting. So that's how that works because there's no way I can, I, I've got a five-point remote harness that I wear. But <laughs> that's going to keep you here. grounded to the ground real good. So let me ask you a question. So in order to be a Part 137 uh, certificated entity, you're telling me that you've got to be a Part 61 pilot and then become a certified flight instructor in order to utilize the Part 137 certificate. Is that correct? No, sir. You don't need a 61. You need your 107. Okay. And you're going to need um, you're going to need that 107 waiver. Okay. And then they one of the part of the exemptions they give you in the 107 waiver without getting down into the weeds, right? is the things that are pertinent to drones, right? And not pertinent to crop dusting aircraft or helicopters. So one of them is the five point harness. Uh, another one of them is, um, I'm trying to think of one right off the hand. I don't have it right up in front of it's me. Fine. I've been thinking about this all morning. Anyway, you get the 107 exemption and that is best achieved by using an aviation lawyer and paying him the money instead of going around and doing it yourself. Now, you will find people online, oh, I got mine in X number of minutes. Okay, wonderful. We all know how that works with the 107.29. If it wasn't for Yoda Vic, I don't know what we'd do. Okay. <laughs> but basically, I use uh, Jonathan Repichent, okay, Repichet or whatever his, however you pronounce his name. He's the only aviation lawyer online that I could find to assist with this. I believe it was worth the investment. Gotcha. Okay. So he has a program that he gives you. He will file for your 107, and then he will send you a template of documents that you have to fill out. Um, I used his templates as a guide, but I've been writing professional documentation close to 30 years, ever since even before Microsoft came out with Word. So I basically built my own set of manuals, flight guides, and everything. So what is what do we need for 137? Got to have... Flight operations manual, okay, for your spray company. You are a spray entity, okay? So this is how I'm going to train my pilots. This is how my pilots are going to fly. This is the steps they're going to do every single time they fly. And think about it as more than flying. You now are spraying economic poisons. So you have to have basically an EPA kind of approach to how I'm going to contain any spills, how I'm going to mix and make sure nobody gets spilled on when I mix, how I'm going to collect all my empties at the end of the day, and what I'm going to do with all those. And while the FAA is interested in that, it's still down to the individual state level because there's one thing we haven't talked about. Once I get the 137 and 107 rating, I must then get state licensing, okay, for spraying anything that ends in CIDE. And I don't care what state union you're in, you're going to have to have that. The good news the good news is most states reciprocate with other states in the United States. So if I have a spray license in Texas, a commercial pesticide applicator's license in the Texas Department of Agriculture, then I can go to Oklahoma and they will grant me an operations certificate without me having to study and retest there because everything's standardized through the EPA. So back to the 137. Once I fill out my flight operations guide, my flight training guide, Okay, my maintenance logs, maintenance guides. And yes, you have to write a maintenance guide for your addresses and everything you're flying in this mission. Because those aren't provided by DJI. Not a chance. So that's part of where I go off the rails and, and take all sorts of little pictures. You guys have seen it out in the forum where I show you pictures of my stuff. 
of every little fitting and every little thing that you would change. And I'm pretty anal about maintenance. I check every nut, every bolt. I'm flying poison in the air. I don't want the tank to come off because we didn't check a bolt and make sure it's you got to remember that you're carrying 2.6 gallons of, of something liquid that can fall, hurt somebody or possibly harm them or poison their animals or them. Be very, very careful with this. Extremely careful. We're extremely strict on pilot training and operations, too. I'm sorry. Am I talking too much? Paul? No, keep going. I think <laughs> okay. you're providing great information. Okay. Like for when you write your flight training guide, this is how you will train your pilots because part of the 137-107 is as the owner or operator of the operation, you are chief supervisor of operations. That sounds really cool. Do you get paid a lot of money? No. It means you're responsible for training, the contact point for the FISDO. So if anybody wants to know anything about what you're doing, the FISDO will call you. For our friends on the call that don't know what FISDO stands for, that flies for Flight Standards District Office. Those guys are the enforcement arm. They will come out and observe you spray. They will come out and cite you if you're not doing it right, okay? That's what that's about. Once you create your documents and the flight training guide, and the flight training guide, you have to outline what's my minimum training requirements to fly for us. Now, for PNC Max Enterprises, any of my new pilots become Drone U members right out of the gate. They've got to go through all the basic programs. And I know Paul and the crew have some new stuff coming out for Enterprise. Guess what? They'll be going through that when it becomes available. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Once they go through that, and you guys have seen me post in the forums our list of requirements and of what we require on the Drone U Facial Book group. Um, It's basically the whole basic list, the don't crash list, all those things that we want you to know how to fly, right? And then you'll come and you'll take some other training, and then you'll have to take the state training. And then you'll take a flight exam from me. And then once we, I'll certify you off. And guess what? Now you're a certified 137 pilot with a one, and you fly under my exemption. So if you want to go off and start your own spray company, you can, but you'll have to get your own 137, 107 rating. But all the hours you flew under my rating count towards your new rating because those are logged hours. They count to the FAA. They don't care who you're flying for as long as you're flying for somebody legal. Once you complete all these documents, you submit them to the FAA and the FISDO will review them. They will call you in. You'll have an informal meeting. And they will go through what's called the document compliance phase. Sounds ominous. It's not. They just want to review your documents. And before you know it, you get a phone call or an email going, when can we schedule your flight test and, and aircraft inspection? Aircraft inspection? I have a drone. What would you want to inspect? They verify the airworthiness of your aircraft. They will come out and check everything that you talked about in that maintenance guide. They will check your maintenance log. So guess what? If you've been flying it in the backyard, spraying water, practicing, better have maintenance entries for it, or they will not pass you. They will inspect the aircraft, making sure it's airworthy. They will inspect your maintenance guide, your logs. Then they'll inspect your pilot log, see what you've logged out for hours on flying it. And then they will ask you some questions, basically like an oral test you would get if you were a private pilot. Then you go out in the field and show them you know how to fly this aircraft, autonomous as well as manual. And if it's a good day, you get passed. I didn't know he was going to pass me at the last second, to be quite honest with everybody. I was like sweating big bullets out there. It was hot. It was a hot day, too. But <laughs> at any rate, I finally got passed. He got me all jammed up on one silly question. I went into brain lock and couldn't answer him. So it was crazy. But I got by it. And then they send you a certificate. And now you're ready to go as far as the FAA is concerned. 
The FISDO will usually say, call us on your first job. We want to come out and make sure you're going through everything. Because everybody's seen how Drone you like should set up the um, the work area, right? Here's your landing pads. I want I want pylons around those. And basically your work area, we're going to set your table up, your drones, your chargers, your tent, all of that. Well, guess what? With 137-107, we also have a containment area where we're going to lay out some tarp. We're going to put a, a what we call a retention ring around that tarp. That is where, if anything spills or something, we get it in that tarp so we can clean a person off or whatever. So you have a hazmat side of this, too, that you set up. And they want to see you set all that up. They want to see you set all that up for operation. And you might, you know, some some of the equipment varies a little bit, too. Well, one question that I have for you, is there any equipment that you've been using or you use that is not DJI? Have you been running into any problems with that? There are other crop dusting drones available. HSC out of Florida sells them. However, I find them almost twice the price of the DJI Agris, or I would have one of them. They are $27,000, and they do not have any, they don't have any autonomous two of them. Is there any reason that you're not using the Yamaha R-Max helicopters? At $220,000 for a full setup, yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> well, that particular drone has been around longer than I have. So that it's, and it's something that a lot of people don't know is that Japan has been using, and it wasn't called the R-Max. It was called the R, I think it was R-50 or some number. And they've had these drones literally since 87 spraying crops in Japan. Yeah. And it's like when America looks to how do we scale our operations, I think we need to look to Japan because – they have been providing for numerous millions of people on a very small piece of land for a very long period of time. But I have another question for you, and, and, and that is, is what do you want other people to know? Because, you know, in pre-show, we talked about how, hey, look, you know, there's low-hanging fruit in the drone industry, but I chose this particular route. But a lot of the, the same parallels in marketing and relationship building and business kind of they go in between ag and all these other uses so my question to you is what do people need to know or what do you want people to know when it comes to agricultural operations do not expect to make a lot of money quickly because you're not going to first of all farmers are a much harder sell than a real estate agent a real estate agent has a a commission or, or a chunk of money coming to them when they complete their tasks that they can pay you out of the farmer may have a lot more uphill battle with that. So you have to find innovative ways to work with them on those things. And it's like you have to show them sometimes via pro bono or other portfolio offerings. That's our that's our word for free. You go out there and show them the value of it. Because in Texas, if the rains start coming real bad and they can't get the booms out and, you know, it, it's too messy for the crop duster to come in. Guess what? I can go fly in there because I'm electric. And I can stay low to the ground. That's another big difference. So I can show value add. The other thing to remember is that you need a two-tier model. You can't just spray. We also offer plant and soil analysis via the slant range and probably a Centera before too long because I want a, I want a multidimensional approach on that as well. So we fly slant range 4PX off of Matrice 210 as a package deal with that spray. So not only can I offer the smaller farmer cheaper spray, I can offer him something he cannot afford. The satellite's too much. The small farmer says, well, can you run a report for me and show me what my crops are doing now? Yes, I can, because the slant rain runs on a laptop in the field. I do not have to push the cloud. 
let me ask you a quick question. When it comes to the slant range 4PX, so it looks like you're doing agricultural interpolation as well. Um, and it's very interesting to me because, you know, we, we've talked about this in the mapping class that you attended in Dallas. And I always tell everyone, look, if you're going to be doing NDVI mapping, you know, is there what type of camera should you be using? And, you know, if, if, if you've listened to the show for a long time, we've talked about this and we can't use a GoPro modified with a filter. You know what I mean? We actually need to use a, a multispectral camera. So my question to you is with the crop analysis, are you telling them where to further analyze a particular crop? Meaning, are you showing them here's what's wrong or here are locations that you need to investigate more with a soil sample? Well, it depends on the crop of what you're scanning and where it's at in the life cycle because you can do plant stand counts, you can do harvest head counts, you can do uh, infestation counts or pick up pests that are on the plants, okay? Or you can pick up um, the certain diseases show different way, different ways in the NVDI spectrum. So you, you can actually see plants that are diseased to a certain extent that need further analysis. I can see one section that's not getting enough water over a section that's getting too much water, things of that nature. And you can't do that with the XT2 infrared because, believe me, we've tried. You actually have to have an NVDI. You actually need that near infrared spectrum that just that exists just before the infrared spectrum, okay, in the visible. So it's very important to understand. Well, I'll do this with my infrared camera that I spent so much money on. Well, it only worked to a certain point. You need the NVDI because, believe me, I've tried to do it, folks. Because these NVDI cameras are expensive. When you say the NVDI, are you using a, a multi-spectral camera or? Yes. Okay. It's multi. Yeah, it's got NVDI, RGB, as well as, and the 4PX now actually has the visible spectrum. So the picture you're seeing of different data forms, you've got the visible spectrum, just like you will with an XT2, which is very helpful because that's all in the product when you run it through the analyses. So another question that I have is, what would you want farmers to know about utilizing agricultural drones? Where, I mean, where is the real value here? Where is the, the greatest value? The thing we need to understand about farmers today that are, that are starting up or following their father's footsteps is they've probably been to a college that has an agricultural program. So they're degreed individual, they're botanists, they're people that are educated in animal husbandry and they know what they're doing with grazing cattle, sheep, goats. Goats are very big in Texas, don't laugh. Um, and so they're very different from the farmers that are 75, 80 years old that have done it the way their dad and their grandfather does it. A good example, I was in a pesticide class recently. We went out for a break and one of the guys goes, well, my dad did it better than this. He just mixed it half with diesel fuel instead of what they're saying. Well, yeah, but that's highly illegal. You don't do that. It, it's bad on the land. But nothing will go there, I assure you. <laughs> yeah. Or the people eating the crops. Where the fellow that just got out of college would never dream of doing such a thing because he understands the leaching of the petroleum, okay? So that's the difference. So when you work with the college-educated botanist or, or uh, agronomist, they understand the value of drones. What they want to do is try to tell you how close you should fly or not fly. So typically, you end up doing multiple flights to show the same result. Gotcha. No, this is really great information, uh, and I really appreciate some of the things. Uh, if we wanted to learn more about you, Philip, where, where do we go to find more information? Well, you can talk to me on Facial Book. I'm out in the Drone You thing. Sometimes I'm a little out in the field a little bit, but I am always come back and answer a message if you send me one, even if you're not on one of my friends' lists. I still look for that. 
I can also be reached at our website, pncmaxenterprises.com, and there's a contact us on there. You'll either get me or uh, Gunny, my, my business partner, anybody at the Dallas class remembers Gunny. Um, he's real patient with DJI, too. So, uh, <laughs> Well, that's good. I, I actually wanted to ask you a question. Um, I'm not trying to do the humble brag here or anything, but what did you think of our mapping class that had happened in Denver or excuse me, in Dallas? Well, I'd love to attend the one in Denver, too, if I could, because I like Denver. I like the mountains a lot. But the one in Dallas was Flatland, but it was still a great class. I loved it. I loved having it. Um, I was able to bring in the, the Terminator machine for you guys to see the big I-9-9960, so everybody oohed nod over that so we could see how fast it would run through PIX 4D, right? It was a great class. We enjoy, I enjoyed it a lot. And if you, if you can make one, you need to go to one. You really do because it, it's, it's more than mapping. It's understanding the mentality. I mean, everybody, understand how I came to drone you. I read Living the Drone Life off Amazon before I ever knew Drone You existed. That's how this whole trek started. Gotcha. Yeah, we actually have to update that book now that all the laws have changed in the last, you know, six months. So that's that's really good to know. And Philip, I really appreciate you saying what you what you're saying about the mapping class. And hopefully, I will see you in Denver. Um, but just so you know, it's already halfway full. So if you do want to come, let us know quickly. <laughs> but I really appreciate all the information that you're giving here because I think there's so much out there as far as fluff and hype as far as what you can do and what you can't do with agricultural drones. And I really appreciate you coming uh, on the show and setting the record straight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, you're awesome, Philip. And thank you for everyone watching the show. Really appreciate you and grateful for you as well. If you have a question, go to askdroneu.com and upload that question so we can get to it. Really, thank you for watching. And this is another episode of Ask we believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.